I have three sisters. One's older and two are younger. And my oldest sister, uh, she always thought she was the boss of me and she always thought that she was right. And she was wrong on both accounts. I don't know if you have an older, older sibling, but they always think that they're the boss of you. So my sister and I, uh, we went to the same college uh, and we were driving home for one of the breaks. And uh, she was driving and one of the, the dash lights came on our little bitty, our, our car. And so when that happens, there are two types of people when a warning light comes on your dashboard. Uh, see if you can identify which one you are. The first person is someone who will pull over, they'll get out the manual and they'll look through it to see, okay, this is what that light means. Oh no, we should, we should definitely stay here and call a tow truck. Or it's not a big deal, we can keep driving. Or you're the second type of person, which is like my sister. You simply think, oh, it's a glitch, it's no big deal, and you keep driving until the car stops driving. I think our emotions, a lot like that illustration, we, we have a difficult time dealing with and, and, and not ignoring our emotions. And emotions, especially the difficult ones, are a sign that something's going on in our heart. And we struggle with difficult emotions. It reminds me of a story of a husband who uh, was taking his wife to a psychologist because he just noticed that she was sad all the time. And so he makes the appointment, they walk into the office and the, the psychologist is sitting on the other side of the desk and he begins talking to the wife and she's looking down, she won't look up at him, she's giving him yes and no answers. So he gets up and moves around the desk and sits right next to the lady and begins talking to her. And she, she sort of looks up and she's surprised that he's sitting uh, right next to her and he puts his arm around her and he begins talking to her. And, and, and she's starting to smile now. Uh, a few minutes later as they're talking, he gives her a kiss on the cheek and she's just really excited. He goes back and he sits behind his desk and he dismisses her and he's just talking to the husband now. He said, now did you notice that when I was sitting behind the desk, your wife wouldn't look up and she seemed really sad? He's like, yes. He goes, but then when I sat next to her, she seemed to smile. Yeah, and when I put my arm around her and I gave her a kiss, did you see her expression? He's like, yeah, she, she, was, she was better. He, and the psychologist said, well, I'm, I'm gonna let you know, your wife's gonna need that type of therapy three times a week. Husband thought and said, you know what, you're right. He says, I can bring her on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I share that story because we all struggle with our own emotions, let alone someone else's emotions. And this is why we're going through this series called Trigger, because we really believe that our emotions affect every area of our life. We pose this, this statement, that it's very difficult to be spiritually healthy when you're emotionally unhealthy. And so today I wanna to talk to you about sadness and depression. I wanna ask you a question. What makes you sad? Now I want you to pause for a moment, because I know we can give, oh, you know, when I don't get what I want, I get sad. But I want you to really think about, like what makes you really sad? I think that's the very first question we need to ask ourselves if we're gonna work through what sadness is. I was asked that question and at first I, I didn't have an answer. And I had to think about it for at least a week. What really makes me sad? And when I thought about it, I thought, you know what? When I see other people in pain, people that I know and love and I care about, that makes me sad because I wanna help them and sometimes I can't or sometimes they don't want my help. So that's what makes me sad. Why does God allow us to experience sadness? Like, wouldn't life be better if we all were just happy? Well, according to the Bible, sadness has a couple of different purposes in our life 
if we will handle them appropriately. So I'm gonna share with you three purposes that sadness have in our life if we're willing to walk through sadness in a very biblical way. Here's the first purpose. Sadness acts as a spiritual warning light, so don't ignore it. We recognize that our emotions are not the problem. It's our response to our emotions. Just like the warning light wasn't the problem with the car, it's what my sister did in response to the warning light. She did nothing. And so God has given us the capacity, all of us the capacity to feel deeply. And the Bible is full of stories from the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures to the New Testament, the Greek scriptures, about people who experience sadness just like you and I. Um, Job. Job is a guy in the Old Testament who lost everything. And part of his story is about him crying out to God because of all that he's gone through. Um, Two-thirds of the, of, of the Psalms, written by King David, who was, a God, who was a man after God's own heart, is about sadness and lament and, and sorrow. Joseph, you might know the story of Joseph. He was a kid that had the coat of many colors. Um, but he's in the palace, and his brothers come after they betrayed him. And when he sees them, the Bible says that he wept so loudly that the entire palace heard him crying. Elijah was a man that spoke for God. He was a prophet. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19 that at one point he gets so depressed, so sad, that he prays and asks God to kill him. Jonah, another prophet of God, is, is upset, and he prays and asks God to kill him. We know that Jesus himself experiences sadness and, 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 and hurt in his life. The, shorter, the shortest verse in the Bible is John chapter 11, verse 35, and it simply says, Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. But in that short verse, those two words, it communicates a lot about who Jesus is and how he's impacted, uh, how we are impacted by his love. See, that, that verse, Jesus wept, in the context is Jesus is going back to uh, visit uh, his friend, Lazarus, who has died. And Lazarus' sisters are mourning, and they're crying, and Jesus sees their pain, and the Bible says he's moved, and so he weeps. I want you to know, Jesus sees your pain. He saw Job when he was sitting there in ashes. He saw Joseph in the palace. He saw David in the cave. He saw Jonah in the fish, and he saw Jesus in the garden. And I want you to know that Jesus, God, sees you in your sadness and in your pain. Our sadness, I believe, is a critical part of our faith journey. Like our emotions don't have to be at war with our faith. They can actually help grow our faith. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said this, I have told you all these things. Now, what he just told them was, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for the sins of mankind, for man's disobedience and selfishness towards others. And of course, they were sad. He says, but I'm telling you this so that, the verse goes on, so that you may have peace in me. He says, on this earth, you're gonna have trials and you're gonna have sorrow, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I want you to notice what that verse said, that you're going to have trials and you're gonna have sorrow, but you can have peace because our peace is not found in our circumstance. Our peace is found in Jesus. And so he says, I share this because I don't want you just to be sad. I want you to have peace, but that peace is only found in me. 
So our sadness needs to help us lean into Jesus rather than run from Jesus. And so it's a warning sign that something's going on in our heart and we need to take uh, notice of that and we need to lean into Jesus. Peaks Cazero is a pastor in New York and an author about emotional health. And he said one of the top symptoms of an emotionally unhealthy person is their difficulty in responding to uh, difficult emotions. See if one of these ways uh, of not dealing with emotions is uh, you identify with. The first one is denial. This is simply saying, nope, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feel that. I'm not gonna feel sadness. I'm not gonna feel, I'm not gonna feel bitterness. I'm not, whatever the, the emotion is, I'm just, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna bury it. Maybe that's you. Some people minimize. They understand they're sad. They understand that they're frustrated, but they're, it's not a big deal. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And they minimize their sadness. Some people intellectualize it. They'll theorize, they'll analyze, they do everything but deal with their sadness. Some people use distractions. They just get busy. Get busy at work, busy with their hobbies, busy with their kids, busy with their friends, just busy, 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 so they don't have to deal with their sadness. Other people self-medicate. To some people, that's turning to alcohol or drugs. Um, but for others, it can be food or shopping. My wife knows when I'm sad because I, I'll eat ice cream. That's how I've dealt with sadness in the past. I eat ice cream. But when I get depressed, I'll eat a gallon of ice cream. So that's the difference between me being sad and me being depressed. Sadness is a bowl of ice cream. Depression is a gallon of ice cream. A couple of years ago, uh, I went through a very difficult time. Uh, Grace Church was getting ready to open a location in Holbrook and uh, I was gonna be the location pastor. So I lived in Walpole, I sold my house, I moved my family to Holbrook in hopes that this would be a location that I would be pastoring. Well, long story short, some legal things happened and the church, uh, it, it fell through. And at that moment, I was, I was devastated. And I think I did all those. I denied it, I minimized it, I distracted, and I definitely ate a lot of ice cream. So much so that I, I gained about 40 pounds. I was very unhealthy emotionally, spiritually, and physically, because I did not deal with me not getting that location in a very unhealthy way. But if sadness has to be a part of our lives, and the Bible says there's actually appropriate times for us to feel sad. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse four says this, there's a time, maybe your translation says a season. There's a time or a season to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance. But I want you to notice that, that Solomon's saying it's a time or it's a season. It's not supposed to be a long season. So we have to work through it. And so it is appropriate when you've lost a loved one to be sad and to grieve. That is appropriate. When you had a goal in life and, and that goal, like having a location, doesn't go through. Sadness is, is, is an appropriate response. Or when you've lost a job, uh, when, when something goes, something falls through, it is, it is appropriate. As a matter of fact, I would say it's, it's unhealthy if you don't show sadness. So sadness is an appropriate response to loss and pain. But sadness that's not dealt with leads to depression. Now, I'm not a professional counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but I've talked to several in preparation for this message. And one of the tools they gave me was therapistaid.com. And if that's something that you wanna look up, uh, it's a great resource. 
but it gives you definitions and some tips and some and, and some tools to use if you're going through sadness or depression. The one of one of the therapists said that a person in depression, not just sadness, but in depression, they catastrophize their life. Everything is worst case scenario. So let's go back to the light on the dashboard. A person who's sad uh, would say, "Man, that I hate when that happens. Man, I." I'm gonna have to pull over. I'm now. Now I'm gonna be late for work. Or I'm gonna late get home. Uh, this is gonna cost me. The car's gonna be in the shop. I mean, all those are appropriate responses. But a person who's depressed catastrophizes it. So now it's not. Oh, I'm just gonna be late. I'm gonna lose my job because I can't make it to work. And and this car, I'm, it's gonna blow up. And so I'm not gonna buy a new car. I can't buy a new car because I'm. I can't go to work. I'm gonna get it fired. And if I get fired, uh, I'm gonna lose my house. And if I lose my house, I'm. I'm gonna be homeless. And you can see how they just, they just spiral out of control. And, and to us who are not in depression, that seems irrational. But a person who's struggling with depression, that is just, that's their natural uh, downward spiral. They, they catastrophize everything. Let me give you a couple of signs to look for and some causes that might help you identify in your own life or in someone else's life if they're struggling with depression. Here's the first one, emotional. This is a person who is constantly sad. They're not in a season of sadness, they're in a long period of sadness or guilt or hopelessness. If that's you or someone you know, please see a Christian counselor or a Christian psychologist. Let them use God's word to help you navigate your sadness. Someone who uh, demonstrates behavioral, whether they're withdrawing, they're no longer have the energy to do normal things in life, they have low motivation to do regular tasks, um, poor concentration, problems with sleeping, sleeping, and a significant shift in their appetite. If you notice any of these, it is an indication that a person might be struggling with depression. And then thoughts. Our thoughts, when you see a person who's spiraling, uh, just a normal, maybe inconvenience is the worst case scenario, this is a person who's probably struggling with depression. And please, get help. There's some causes. So those were some signs, here are some causes. One is medical. There are people, because of uh, hormonal imbalance, low uh, serotonin or thyroid issue, they're gonna struggle with depression. Let me just say this. If that's you, it is okay to take medication. Maybe, maybe that's the most freeing thing that I can say to you. It is okay to take medication to help you with the medical issue of depression. For some people, it's genetic. And I would say whether it's genetic or it's medical, see a doctor, see a professional doctor, let them diagnose that. But some people are more prone to depression because it runs in their family. And if that's you, just be aware of it. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to be depressed, but you might be more prone to it when, di when difficulties happen in your life. For some people, it's just environmental. Things happen, um, whether it's a loss of a loved one, um, um, you, know, a, 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 you know, sexual abuse, a physical abuse, a substance abuse, those things can cause depression. But there's one I think a lot of people forget and they overlook, and that's a spiritual cause. A spiritual cause where someone who is, claims to be a follower of Jesus uh, is living with guilt, they're living with shame, they're living in unforgiveness or bitterness, 
That was the children of Israel. In the book of Lamentations, the entire book in the Bible on sadness. And it was because the children of Israel disobeyed God. And because of that, they walked through, what is it? Their sadness because of that. Um, a lot of times, spirit, there, there's a spiritual aspect to, to, our, to our sadness. Uh, I'll quote Pete Segaro again. He says, God created us emotional beings. To feel is to be human. To minimize or to deny what we're feeling is a distortion of being made in the image of God. And to the degree that you're unable or unwilling to express your emotions, you will remain impaired in your ability to love God and to love others. That's why it's so important to recognize when you're in, in sadness or in depression. It is a sign and you need to not ignore it. The second purpose in sadness is that it teaches us something about who we, who we are and what matters to us. And so we need to learn from it. Now sadness, I'll say, is a very crazy emotion. Have you ever cried for no reason? Now I have come home and my wife will be on the couch and she's crying and I'm like, what, what's wrong, babe? I don't know, I just need a good cry. I'm like, you can do that? You can just cry for no reason? Here's a bowl of ice cream, it'll make you feel better. But, but sometimes she's just overwhelmed with things in life and she just needs a good cry. Um, have you ever cried when you're happy? I experienced that at my daughter's wedding. Uh, when my daughter Courtney got married, I'm walking her down the aisle, and this is probably the hap one of the happiest moments of my life. My daughter has found a person she's gonna spend her life with, and he's a good dude, and I'm happy for them. But I was bawling like a baby. It was one of those bittersweet moments, and that's just confusing. Um, but, and I think you understand that because that's my daughter, and, and you know, but have you ever cried and you really didn't even have an emotional attachment? If you've ever seen the, the movie, The Notebook, you've cried. Come on, be honest, you've cried. And if you haven't, you don't have a heart. Why do we cry at, at movies? It's because I think we identify with what's going on with that character. Like this guy's wife, it, she doesn't even remember him. And there are brief moments where she's able to come back and remember him. And it's just, you put yourself in that situation. Like if that was me, that would be so sad. And so you, you cry. Um, sorrow teaches us about love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to believers, and these are the people that you love, uh, who have died, so that you will not grieve as people who have no hope. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and as we believe Jesus will return, God will bring back those who believe and who died. So, so Paul's writing saying, I understand that these are people that you love and they've died, but, but you have hope that you will see them again because when Christ returns, he's going to bring them back. So grief and sadness show us who we've loved. I mean, you've been at a funeral of somebody you really didn't know, and it's, it's sad, but then you've also been at a funeral where it was a family member, a close friend, and that hits differently. So sadness teaches us about love and about loss. And I think people say, well, I would love to get away, just get rid of sadness. I would only wanna feel happy. And I would say to that, to get rid of sadness, you would also have to get rid of love because the price of loving someone and losing them is sadness. So sadness shows us what we care about and who we love. 
That's why when God looked at us and looked at our brokenness and looked at the pain we were in, he's so moved by that, he's willing to send his one and only son to die on the cross to pay for our own selfishness and disobedience. When Jesus saw our, our dysfunction and our pain, he was willing to go to the cross to offer his life as a sacrifice for us because he loved us. So sadness teaches us about love, but it also teaches us about what's important in life. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes. It's better to spend time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. What Solomon is saying here is that sadness this refining influence, he's talking about, like back in that day, uh, they would melt down gold and all the imperfections, the things that didn't add the value to the gold would come to the surface and they would skim that off so that the pure gold, the most valuable part of the gold remained. And that's the idea of what sadness does for us. It reminds us of all the things that really don't matter in life. When you're at a funeral, they don't talk about how much money that person had in their bank account, where they vacationed, what kind of cars they drove. Those things are all the things that rise to the surface that don't matter at that moment. And what's important at that moment is where that person is spending eternity and how they impacted your life. And so sadness is one of those things that teaches us what's important in life. The third thing that sadness teaches us is that this is not our home. Paul's writing in Romans, he said this, he says, we know the whole creation is groaning in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And not only creation, but we are groaning. And we're eagerly awaiting the adoption of our sonship to the redemption of our bodies. What Paul is saying is we understand that right now sadness and pain is in this season. But one day the Bible says that in heaven, there's no more sadness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. And our sadness reminds us we're not there yet. So sadness teaches us some things and we need to allow our sadness to be like a compass that points us back to what's important and lean on Jesus so that we can get through our sadness. The third purpose of sadness is that it is a difficult emotion and it's, it's teaching us to lean on others, to share it. We are not overcome by our sadness when we share it. And Jesus models this in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36 through 38. Then Jesus went to them. Now Jesus is getting ready to go to die on the cross and he's going to the Mount of Olives. And he says to his disciples, you guys sit here. I'm gonna go a little further and I'm going to pray. Then he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And he says, I'm, being, I'm feeling anguished. I'm feeling distressed. He says, you guys stay here. My soul is being crushed with grief, even to the point of death. You stay and watch, and I'm gonna go pray to the Father. Two things Jesus did in his sadness. One is he shared it with his disciples. He brought them into his sadness and says, this is what I'm, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm about to die, and, I, and I'm conflicted. So please pray for me. But then he also goes to the Father and he shares what he's going through with the Father. Our sadness and our depression should remind us we need God and we need each other. You can't walk through this sadness and depression 
by yourself. Jesus actually invites us to have a relationship with them. He wants to be invited into your situation. He says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Are you weary? Is the sadness just like, is it destroying your life? Is it, is it hard to get up in the morning? He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. I know for many people listening to this talk, this is what you need. You've been battling with depression. You've been battling with sadness. And Jesus hasn't been invited into your situation. And so you have no peace. You have no hope and you have no rest. And Jesus says, invite me. He says uh, in, another, in another verse, cast all those cares on me because I care for you. This is one of the reasons why at Grace Church, we offer life groups and growth groups because you cannot do life alone. And when you're down, you need someone else to pick you up. And when someone else is down, you need to be there to pick them up. And that's why we offer these groups so that you can walk through sadness, you can walk through grief with other people. And that's the most healthy thing that you can do. So when I, when I lost that location, uh, I ate a lot of ice cream, I, I ate a lot of unhealthy things, and I gained 40 pounds. So physically and emotionally and even spiritually, I was unhealthy. And when I stopped denying it, and when I stopped minimizing it, and when I stopped self-medicating and started talking to somebody who is spiritually and emotionally healthy, I began to get spiritually and emotionally and physically help, uh, healthy. But I couldn't do it on myself. I couldn't do it by myself. And I struggled with it for more than a year. And so sadness teaches us, the purpose is that we need God and we need others. The journey towards hope and healing starts with taking one step. And for some of you, it's stepping towards Jesus. It's inviting him into your situation by calling on him to rescue you from your disobedience and selfishness so that he can be the Lord of your life. For others, you've done that. And so now you're like, I, I need to think through, why am I sad? What is this teaching me? What is it showing me about my life? What is it showing me about what's important in my life? And who do I need to talk to so that I don't stay in this long season and of dryness and, and depression? Maybe a step for you is to read the Psalms. Find out what, did, what was David feeling and what did God do? What did God show him and what did God do to help him get out of that? Because our sadness is caused by different things, so God uses different things to get us out of that sadness. For Elijah, he was, he was overwhelmed, he was dehydrated, he was hungry, and God provided nourishment for him. That gave him the strength that he needed um, to be able to, to continue. For David, it was confessing his sin. For Jonah, it was repenting and, 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 and obeying God. Maybe you need to talk to somebody who's emotionally and spiritually healthy to help you work through your sadness so that you can become emotionally healthy. And maybe you need counseling. If you need counseling, um, my email is ken at thatsgrace.org. We have resources and referrals that we can give you. Maybe you just need to join a life group or get into a growth group. You need to be in community with other people from Grace Church to help you with those difficult emotions. Whichever one of those action steps is for you, I pray that you'll take it this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. 
that reminds us that, God, we are broken and we're in a world that's broken. And because of that, we're going to experience sadness. We're going to experience a disappointment. And when we do, God, you've given us ways to handle that and, and go through that in a way that honors you and that helps us to grow in our spiritual, our spiritual walk. God, I pray for the person who right now has been sitting in sadness or depression and they see no light at the end of the tunnel. They feel like they have no hope. They feel like they have no peace. God, I pray that you would speak to them today, that they would see that you are the peace, you are the hope of the world, that you want to restore, that you want to give them rest in their life. But God, they've got to turn that over to you. God, you're the one that can turn dry bones into, into something lively. God, you can take our chaos and calm our storm. But God, the part that we have to play is we have to be willing to get help, search through the scriptures on what we should do with our sadness, and God will thank you for it. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.